Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very senior and accomplished professional from Zurich, Switzerland, Mr. Jörg Ewald. Jörg, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, Jörg is the Chief Executive Officer, I'll be the board member of Valerium, which was formerly Flytech in Zurich. He's an interim CTO of Clyde Mobility, also in Zurich. So Jörg, before we start talking about anything else, tell me about your own journey uh, from becoming a technology leader with expertise in both software and hardware. Yeah. So I started on the software side. I studied computer science or uh, yeah, computer engineering here at ETH in Zurich. And I had several jobs as a software developer, first in Zurich. Then I moved to the Silicon Valley for five mm-hmm. years. And increasingly, I started flipping back and forth between pure development jobs and pure management jobs. Mm-hmm. And both didn't really fulfill me. And then about 20, 25 years ago, I took a second degree in technology management, became more involved in that part, and right afterwards switched to a product management position. And I discovered I'm really a product person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this flipping back and forth kind of stopped. I, I understood better where I wanted to go. I developed a product, early, uh, a software product at this time. And I had a short stint as a C-level software consultant and security consultant, figured out that's totally not my thing. Okay. And then got offered to run this company that you mentioned, Flytech, uh, which was a perfect combination for me of many aspects, many passions in my life. Mm-hmm. It had to do with flying. The, the company produces navigation instruments, mainly for paraglider pilots. I am a paraglider pilot, so that that really fits well into my private life as well. Mm -hmm. And ever since I had worked in the Silicon Valley, the idea of being an entrepreneur, running a company, being more active at all levels of a company, it's very appealing. So it all came together and 2014, I became the CEO of that company. Amazing. And since... Those are physical devices. Uh, yeah, the, the focus shifted a little from pure software development to also having to deal with hardware. Mm-hmm. And we reorganized the company several times. And in the end, I was basically the only developer, both on the hardware and software side. So I kind of switched roles from CEO, having teams to doing all the work myself. And that included casing design, electronics design, and integrating everything. Mm, Fascinating. And given the amount of leadership roles that you have had, both in software and in uh, hardware, what, in your view, are some of the key skills essential for an effective technology leader? I think uh, even though it's about technology, in the end, you deal with people and solid people skills are all, they matter the most. There's certainly, you need a really, really good understanding of the basics of the fundamentals of your field, be that software engineering, hardware engineering, or any other. You need to understand the basics. Uh, And then that has has two aspects. Basically, 
by knowing the basics really well, you will be able to understand the developments and the new things that come up. And you can frame them within what is already there in the basics because the basics don't change there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so you're not less prone to fall for fads or like big developments that come ahead. You can always kind of frame them in what you already know and work with that. And the other is, yeah, the people you work with, the people that work for you, uh, it is important. You can't do the job by yourself. Even mm -hmm. when I was basically running the company as a one-person show, there were many people around that still I needed to interact with. And even less when they're, when they're no longer employees, when they're just partners, there is a lot of negotiation going on all the time. Mm. And that is an incredible skill, being able to work with people, keep them involved, keep them passionate about what you're mm. doing and move forward that way. Mm. But since we're talking about uh, skills, what in your view are some of the most overlooked, overlooked soft skills in tech industries? <laughs> I think negotiation is uh -huh. a really, really important one. Absolutely. Because... In the end, everything is kind of a negotiation. And uh, yeah, you you have all kinds of conflicts, diverging interests, uh, diverging opinions that clash in a team. And being able to resolve that and pull out a, a common ground that then allows everybody to pull in the same direction mm. is incredibly important. I agree. I agree. The other question that I've often wondered, and I'm going to ask you this question, is that when you look at from a technology developer, you're always talking about uh, perfection. Mm -hmm. And yet there is this whole thing of innovation and time to market. Mm -hmm. How Absolutely. do you balance this? Because, you know, you are a developer and mm -hmm. you're a business manager. Mm -hmm. So I think the most important is to resist this urge that probably all engineers have to start mm. from scratch. Mm. Throw away what is there, and now we go start over. Mm. I was very fortunate in the beginning of my career when I was in the Silicon Valley. I worked with some people who had been burned by that really badly. They all came from Netscape, a company that went out of business because yeah. the engineers decided to start from scratch. Mm. And they really hammered that into our brains every time somebody came with, oh, yeah, let's just throw this away and start over. It's like, that's a no-go. And mm. I, I am really happy that I got that lesson early on. And I strongly believe in that. Because no matter how bad you think the current system is, there still went a lot of thought and work into it. And throwing that away is a gigantic waste. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the one aspect. And the other is then, yeah, work on that, make it better so you can isolate individual things that you can replace, but don't throw away the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Great. And then lastly, mm -hmm. I think the 80-20 rule is mm -hmm. really important for us to know and knowing when good enough is good enough. Mm -hmm. What a great response. Thank you. All three wonderful points. My next question is that, you know, given the fact that you worked across the world, 
what strategies do you employ for efficient communication among distributed multidisciplinary teams maybe multicultural as well yeah um i really like to bring people together physically mm-hmm. so i try also now we have people not not that far but people distributed over europe mm-hmm. and i really try to bring them together physically at least once rather twice a year uh be that for work sessions or visiting a conference together something but they need to be physically together in the same space mm-hmm. uh and the other is in the daily business all the teams need to be included and those video platforms platforms they help a lot with that i'm really happy they they exist at the level that we have them now Mm. i would still prefer everybody to be here Mm. but i understand that's not possible and given that uh daily video calls daily chat sessions ongoing including people that way is a is a really good help very interesting and when you work across multidisciplinary teams across multiple countries how do you foster a culture of continuous improvement i i think that's something i just i like talking about the meta level mm-hmm. and it's really important to to make people understand that apart from the level of the work we do and solving the problems we have mm-hmm. talking about one level higher how do we do it how do we go about it is really important again you have to kind of balance it there's people who prefer to only talk about that and never about the work and so you have to find the right balance for that right and at least in software development i i think the the scrum framework is a great way to go about it and give you that place where at least once after every sprint you think about you talk about not only about the results you produce but also how you produce them mm-hmm. how you can improve on that and then the next time you revisit that and see mm-hmm. how that part improves and yeah for me that works really well mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you need to nudge people a little bit to instead of just complaining it doesn't work to think about solutions and continuing mm-hmm. but in general that works very well well said and what is your philosophy on organizational structure and how it affects productivity um well in general i've mainly been around smaller companies mm-hmm. startups where hierarchies are tend to be very flat uh i also saw the downside that were in a very flat hierarchy suddenly if if you're a manager you have huge teams because the hierarchy is flat mm. you may be totally swallowed by just managing the administrative part of your mm. job mm. so there is a yeah there's kind of you need to balance the org chart tree really well so that people can still do your job mm. i don't believe in pure managers I still want people to also be involved in in the actual work mm-hmm. especially in the engineering parts you you need to be hands on everywhere else basically too 
So, and that that is what affects prior, uh, productivity because uh, then you don't have people who don't contribute to the actual product. Right. Everybody is is involved in that. And also all the people notice that there is no us and them. There is, we all work together. Mm. And, uh, you know, when you work across time zones, you know, in hybrid work situations, mm-hmm. do you use any specific kind of tools or methodologies? I think I've been fortunate enough so far to have everything in the same time zone. Okay. Or if if not, I mean, we, we worked with some uh, development companies in India from Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it was just a question of having a very, very clearly defined outcome and having very clear communication of what is the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have daily exchanges, we just have, say, weekly exchanges, and those can be done at a time that works for both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't have like a, a scrum team that was distributed over several time zones. Uh, I would have to think about how to organize Interesting. that. Interesting, I agree. My next question is that, you know, given the amount of width of work that you have handled, can you tell us about a challenging manufacturing problem that you faced? <laughs> how did you solve it and what was the impact on the final product? <laughs> I didn't solve it, but yeah, it was interesting. Uh, the company I took over the for the ma- for those navigation devices for mm-hmm. paraglider, hang gliding, and ballooning pilots. Uh, the company was already thirty years old by the time I took it over. And I always said it's a thirty-year-old startup mm-hmm. because uh, many of the processes had never been matured, and a lot of things were really run by like a like a startup. Right. And one of it was how manufacturing was done. It was a group of people who assembled those devices. And when you looked at it, I mean, they, they are high-tech devices. They were, for a long time, they were the market leader globally in, in this tiny little niche market. Uh, when you saw people manufacture them, you thought you were in the watchmaker's shop somewhere in the west of Switzerland. And... It was a really intricate, complex process to put those things together, mm. which, of course, was incredibly expensive, incredibly slow, mm. and incredibly error-prone. Mm. Mm. And when we reorganized the company, restructured it, and decided to concentrate on our core competences and outsource the manufacturing we found that it was almost impossible to find a partner who was willing to do that work. Mm. Uh, Yeah, so we didn't really resolve it. The product is as it is. We never had the the power or the money to to change that, to Mm. create the product that's designed for manufacture. So uh, the the product as it is uh, still is work or yeah, you're basically no longer manufactured, but it's still kind of a watchmaker thing. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Thank you. So time for two or three more questions. My next question is that if you were to you know, take out your crystal ball and <laughs> look at how you see technology, how you see the landscape of software and hardware, mm-hmm. I'd love to get your perspective or where do you think this will go in the next five years? 
<laughs> oh, let's revisit that in five or ten years and see how <laughs> so, wrong I was. Well, we'll have this recording, and I'm sure it'll be quite accurate. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, right now, of course, uh, all the machine learning that has come to fruition over the last year or two years, mm-hmm. and is getting everybody very excited because mm-hmm. it has become so accessible. I think, yes that has an impact even on technology on mainly on software engineering mm-hmm. where i think there will be a shift away from the pure coding the really just yeah uh, low level i have this little task to do and i need to write the code that does it mm-hmm. away to what i think is the more interesting part of building systems mm-hmm. building the whole architecture, designing that and building that. Hmm. And yeah, I, I'm very excited about that. I, I like coding. I like building systems. But I think the shift towards the bigger picture thinking is very important and will very be very interesting and fulfilling also hmm. for people. You know, that's such a fascinating response, Jörg, because I was as you were talking, I was thinking back, I'm from the boomers generation. And after business school, we used to learn COBOL and Fortran, which Mm -hmm. used to be the two computer languages. And the only way you could communicate with a computer was through punch cards. Yeah, of course. So we evolved (laughs) a lot. Thank you for such a great response. Thank you. Next question is for you personally. How do you manage your own work-life balance (laughs) in such a demanding field? Yeah, I am very fortunate. I mean... I especially were at the height of when I was working with Flytech and we had to restructure. We were struggling. The company was struggling when I started there and uh, we it never really got better. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly had a time when work-life balance was heavily on the work side. And fortunately, I have a friend, uh, Peter Stevens, who is here in Switzerland. He is kind of a known entity for introducing Scrum to the software engineering world Mm -hmm. uh, from very early on. And he kind of shifted his focus a little bit in the field that he calls personal agility. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to be one of his guinea pigs. Uh, He actually used my case later in the book he published about personal agility. and we we talked about how to structure. It was as interesting as it sounds. It was like I'm a software engineer. I'm a very structured person, but it I took I, I needed him to help me structure my life to yes. to to sort that out. Right. And the key point that happened there was where we sat down and created this list of what does really matter, what is mm-hmm. really important, and after some iterations what came out what came at the very very top is what is most important is having a decent life Mm. and so that's the priority and i started shifting based on that what i did and gave things that helped having a decent life like uh, going out and see a show in a theater or something every now and then Mm. having that giving that priority allowing that and that had a huge impact. Fascinating. And my last question to you, uh, Jorgen, this is for the many people who will listen to our conversation. 
based on your own amazing journey and such incredible depth of understanding of technology, what would you say are three lessons you would want a lot of our young viewers and listeners to take away from our conversation? I'd say hmm, three. Okay. Uh, for me, the most important one is trust in people over tools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want me to <laughs> expand on that. But no, you please yeah, maybe can step. Yeah, so especially in the technology field, there is this tendency of solving every problem with a tool. And yeah, mm-hmm. there is a tool for this, there is a tool for that. But ultimately, those are just crutches. Mm-hmm. And trust in people will always be stronger than introducing yet another tool. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay. The second one would be to, yeah, what I mentioned before, build a strong understanding of the basics of your field. Mm. Those are invariables. They will stay. They will never disappear because of new or probably not disappear because of new developments. Right. And then they will allow you to quantify and understand and map new developments. And you will see a lot of things reoccurring. Uh, probably a lot of things you learned in business school, mm. they were totally out of fashion for yeah. 10 years and then totally in fashion again 10 mm. years later. So you see things reappearing and disappearing. Mm. And it will make you feel more secure, more calm, more, uh, yeah, more uh, able to, to lead other people because you understand the basics. Mm. Fascinating. And, the last one is uh, mentorship is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I discovered that way too late in my life, and I'm trying working on being a mentor to people who work with me, work for me as much as I can, mm. because I didn't have that or I didn't understand that I needed that when I was in the beginning of my career. So yeah, find a mentor, find somebody who inspires you mm. and just meet with them for a coffee once a month for an hour is incredibly worth. Fantastic. And you're on that note and your three wonderful lessons, trust people over tools. Second, you said was build a strong understanding of the basics because this will stand by you in the long term. And third one you said was mentorship is wonderful. Get yourself a mentor. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for speaking to me about your own amazing journey. Thank you for speaking to me at such length about the different aspects of technology, about how you manage across multiple cultures, multiple dimensions. Thank you also for giving me your perspective on what you see technology may uh, turn to in the next few years. Thank you for speaking to me and good luck. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.